streaming? Oh, God. I don't know that I'm good enough to make that advice. <laughs> if we restricted these topics to things that we were good at, we would not have a show. <laughs> Dangerous Mud in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 229 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're leaving the tabletop behind and playing over the internet, because we're talking about playing online. But first, the party runs Recover in the Gates of Morning campaign, and later, the webmaster administers the pain in the Character Creation Forge. Gather round, travelers, to hear our tale. A mysterious organization called the Sisters of Sorrow have swept up our three heroes, and it is up to Kara, Saye, and Arnadel to do battle with the forces of evil and financial destitution. We shall battle with ancient lore. Take them down with our sharp reflexes? Hey, did you guys finish the last of the ale? Venture Maidens is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast featuring a cast of four lifelong gamers. Kara, not now. We're recording a podcast ad. Uh, um, right. Uh, I chop it with my axe. For gold and glory. We post our episodes every other Sunday. We've got monsters, treasure, role-playing, a cool plot, and some strange NPCs. Find the Venture Maidens podcast today on iTunes or wherever podcasts are free. Until then, venture away. So Shane, it's finally come. We did it. We finished our first real stream for the show, kind of for the show. Our first actual play. That we thought was fit for online consumption. Yeah, exactly. So if you would like to check out Stream of Blades, now that it is complete, uh, all episodes are available on our YouTube channel. There's a link in the show notes. You can also search Stream of Blades or Total Party Thrill on YouTube. Um, you could join the fun. It's 11 episodes. It's, uh, boy, do we have some death. <laughs> so many, so many deaths. Uh, and man, what an intense ending, I assume. Mm-hmm since we're recording before we've actually played the actual ending, but I'm sure it will be intense. Technically true. We are also, this is the first time we're recording since PAX Unplugged. Our second PAX Unplugged, although I guess the third for the convention in Philadelphia. Yeah, I guess some people have been three times. Yes, uh, we specifically didn't go to the second one because we didn't like the first one. Right. This one was better. This was better. Yes, it was definitely better. <laughs> <laughs> still a bit disorganized hey at least this time there was space to actually play some games if you wanted to like get some people together or um in the uh, dealer hall like in the same room there were tables set up where people would set up games and there were these little like flags on on sticks uh, so people would know whether they wanted to uh, whether they're looking for someone to play a game with them or looking for someone to teach them a game so you know i guess pickup games were easier so it sounds like there was actually like game registration available. It was set up like via email for people who ran games last year and then administered through Board Game Geek on a like a thread on the forums or something. So as regular PAX attendees, we had no idea that that was possible. Uh, also, there were some panels. We heard from some people who tried to get panels approved that it was difficult. And yet at the same time, when panels were approved, sometimes sort of like random people would show up on that panel. Like it seemed like a person would get approved for a panel and then it was kind of up to them who else was on the panel, which probably was just someone they happened to know, not necessarily someone who had expertise. Yeah, it's like it's a weirdly like partially curated panel, right? In which they want to like, like moderate which panels are being hosted and scheduled, but then not have end-to-end -end control over the quality of those panels. Uh, also, some panels got moved, like location and time, which meant that people who traveled for a specific panel at a specific time didn't get to go to it. Yeah, like, sorry that it was your, you know, LGBT representation panel that you came here for. Uh, it's a half hour later, and it's in a smaller room, and now you don't get to go. 
which was literally the experience of one of our friends. Yeah. So cool, I guess. This is not really a complaint, but we also didn't get uh, media passes. But maybe that's because they heard the first review we did of Pax and Plug the first year. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't feel any better having paid seventy dollars for tickets. <laughs> like, I, so so our experience, right? Like, we we had fun, but that was because we mostly played games with James and Tricasso and Rudy Basso, um, with like groups of people that we more or less already knew, right? Uh, that we had met at other conventions, right? So. <laughs> Like we know those people like that. We know what their experience was like. It was very similar to ours, which was not unique to PAX. Um, I am very curious to learn how other people spent their packs and if they like how they had fun that they wanted to have, because I am still baffled as to how I would do it. Had I not already known people going. Right. Well, maybe it's a moot point because next year they've moved it to the weekend before Thanksgiving, which I believe is the same weekend as what big bad con. Oh, is it? That actually makes it a little easier for me. This year it was a real pain because there's only two weekends between Thanksgiving and like Christmas. So one of them was PAX and then the other one is this weekend as we're recording. And then it's like then Christmas season starts. So it was it was not convenient this year anyway. Being before Thanksgiving, I think, is a little better for me. We did spend a lot of time in the dealer hall, though, buying stuff. Oh, bad news. I'm a <laughs> dice boy now. <laughs> I have gone off the rails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you enjoy that. I'm, I'm happy for you. You bought dice too. Don't act yeah. like I can't oh. infect you a little bit. Oh, it's very true. I bought some dice I like very much, and that will be the set of dice that I buy this year. <laughs> right, yeah. Your $30 investment looks, it pales in comparison. <laughs> you know what? If you're getting enjoyment out of that, I'm happy. Hey, speaking of uh, expensive dice... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Hey, speaking <laughs> up. So I actually, so I bought dice. I bought um, resin dice that were handmade by a handmaker from Australia um, called Fortune Favors uh, that were sold through Level Up. Uh, Level Up is notable because they make a lot of pretty dice, but also they partnered with Wizards of the Coast for the D&D anniversary dice, the Sapphire anniversary. So 45 years, the Sapphire anniversary, they are selling a set of dice that has a lab-grown Sapphire on the D20. The set of dice is $299. Mm -hmm. They are making 1,974 sets. Right, to commemorate the launch of D&D. There's still some available. They did not sell out. uh, It's been four days and they're still available. So (laughs) I I don't know how many are left, but um, probably more than they expected. And uh, I just don't see who's doing this, who's buying this. Yeah, I mean, I think on Discord, people have basically been like, I would be interested in taking a look at them and rolling them. I am definitely not paying $300 for them. Yeah, there's they have no inherent value. They're just metal dice with a lab-grown sapphire, which costs like, you know, two bucks. But I mean, if Wizards wants to send us a set, we'll gladly take a look. Yeah, when they have leftovers, <laughs> like, you can freely send me set 1,229, like, whatever. I want 1,974, okay? I'm holding out. You want the last set? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, the best I, set, right? They finally got it right. Well, the two best sets are uh, set number 69 and set number 420, so. Uh, what about 1337? No, that's way lamer. What is this, dice for nerds? <laughs> nerds hate dice. <laughs> so, anyway, PAX U was fun. Like, I actually enjoyed PAX Unplugged. I it just... was a good weekend. I don't know that it was a good convention. <laughs> exactly. Um, the dealer hall was good, though. I was I was surprised. Like, that, that has consistently been like the second best dealer hall to Gen Con uh, and much more manageable. You actually feel like you can see everything. So speaking of seeing everything, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And on the day of morning, along a barren stretch of a Carnathy battlefield, the party is fighting for their lives. So, moments after a sentry has shouted a warning, evocation grenades rain down on the camp of the Ondarian army. Non-combatants and camp followers are running for their lives as a line of Carnathi undead soldiers crest a hill and fire a salvo of arrows into the retreating ranks. An Ondarian colonel throws Bramble the Shifter, a PC, to the ground out of harm's way. Yeah, and uh, Bramble and my character, Warden, are uh, are traveling companions for this. We are both undercover members of the Greensingers, the druid sect that uh, interacts with the Fae of Thalanus. Um, and we rally two sellswords who have survived this attack. 
Um, we are separated from the rest of the army and set out away from the undead, accompanied by the colonel and assault a small squad of soldiers towards the only shelter we can see, an outcropping of exposed bedrock to the southwest. Nearby, Lucky, a changeling paladin of the Traveler, convincingly disguised as a human paladin of Aladra, shields a family of three from incoming fire, but unfortunately the mother is hit and instantly turned into a charred corpse. The child screams, but Lucky drags the girl and her father away from the battlefield towards the only shelter she can see in the darkness, an outcropping of exposed bedrock. Elsewhere, the half-elf Zan and Lenore, a scion of House Thrashk, a, uh, a human scion of House Thrashk, are caught in the firestorm together. They watch as people around them are scorched by lightning and fall dead to the ground. Then Zan grabs this newly orphaned child and Lenore grabs a hooded woman. She seems to know, uh, grabs her by the arm, and the small troop dodges incoming fire in a mad dash to the safety of nearby rocks. And Decimus, an artificer on the outs with House Caneth, shields a small area with an improvised gadget that he pulls out of his pocket, and then quickly ushers a woman and her child away from the undead toward the south. And as day breaks on the Carnathi no man's land, it begins to rain. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are talking about playing RPGs online. Do people do that? Uh, I don't know. I, we did it once. Yeah, that one time. Well, <laughs> Never <times>. again. <laughs> Man, no, nobody wants to see that. No, playing online. This is this is great, right? Uh, the internet has uh, made many groups that would have been completely impossible in years past. Uh, we did cover play by post gaming, which is similar but much slower in episode 130 so you can check that out yeah so the main difference there right play by post is remote and asynchronous so everyone plays at their convenience they don't all gather together to play at the same time whereas when you're playing online you're remote but you're playing synchronously so everyone is playing at the same time you know you show up at 7 p.m and everybody logs in and you play the game for a period and then you stop so it's just as difficult to uh, schedule as regular uh, tabletop gaming, huh? <laughs> does not solve the scheduling problem. <laughs> Though, I, I, actually, you know, say that, but I think to some degree you do help a little bit, right? Because you don't have travel. Um, you don't have, like, sort of the, um, like, inconsistency of, like, actual start and finish times, right? Like, when when you can lower the barriers that are required for, like getting out of the house and like making arrangements for things you know like i think it is actually a little bit easier to get things scheduled right like parents can put the kids to bed but can't leave the house um you know like now you can actually still play games all right so there are pros and cons for playing online uh first off of course like the big one is that you don't need to be in the same place you don't need to be in the same town or country or time zone. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the story of how uh, Roll20 actually started, right? It was like they had this this basic software uh, that they were using in order to continue the game that they were playing with their home group. You also, I think, don't have the same table banter experience, right? Like the idea of, of a group of people around a table kind of like sharing the experience. You, you miss out on that. Um you don't have like that social interaction that's inherent in in-person gaming. So um, I think this is sort of like challenging if you want to recreate the home game experience, right? Like you can't quite get that worked out. Right. But it actually can be a boon for people with mobility challenges. Talked about this before, right? If you're unable to leave the house or can't do it easily um, or for people who might have social anxieties who don't necessarily feel comfortable being in a space with like six other people face to face and kind of want that filter of the the like online screen experience to be able to sort of open up and let loose yeah and then also just like general accessibility things right like if you are playing from home and you have accessibility needs like you are more likely to find them at home than you would be um having to leave right and in, in like some random person's living room right exactly right. At the same time, though, this lower barrier to get people in the same place at the same time, at least online, does mean that people might be less committed to it because they've sacrificed less for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like there's also just um, a lot of these games are sort of 
assembled amongst strangers and you just have sort of less attachment to strangers that you know more by a screen name than necessarily like as a person right i mean even if you if you are meeting people in the same place every week you know at somebody's home to play an actual game even if you started off as strangers and you met on like reddit or whatever after a while you actually get to know each other in person you become a real person you might even be like out of game friends together and and now suddenly there's much more social pressure to actually show up yeah now you have a podcast and then you start traveling to conventions it just becomes a whole problem it's too much it's too much for anyone exactly keep it at arm's length kids also i think it's nice because it's really easy to organize ad hoc games right like where you have that lower commitment problem um for maybe longer term games it's very easy for like a one shot or a play test to get somebody to join for three hours on an evening i don't even need to leave my house like i just have to log into a website you know like that that actually makes it way easier to get organized when it's such a low commitment yeah this is convenient for you know if you just want to play a one shot or actually maybe even more so if you want to play test a game that you are putting together or that you want to you know just try out to see if you actually enjoy it it's kind of good actually to have people who aren't necessarily a cohesive group to try it out because different people will see different things yeah and like every summer around like gen con season or just around con season in general right like i see all the gaming discords i'm in like start lighting up with people who want to like test run their adventure that they're running at a con you know like i just want to make sure it works stuff like that and it it just becomes very easy to just cool so at three o'clock we'll hop on we'll play and then like we're done you know just throw your unplay tested game at people at a con That's my move. Yeah, they have very low standards, and they're just happy to be included. Wait, I can't believe we didn't mention the the unplaytested game that I ran at PAX Unplugged. (laughs) There were a lot of unplaytested games. What did you run, Shane? (laughs) We'll have to save that for next episode. Perfect. And then there are some games that just don't really work that well playing online. Uh, you know, games with a lot of physical props. Uh, dice are okay, especially if you have an online dice roller or you know people well enough to not care or not think that they're fudging their dice rolls. But things like cards are very difficult uh, to to do. I mean, are you like dealing it yourself and then sort of holding it up to the camera? It's complicated. Yeah, it, it especially like a lot of... So there's two pieces of cards. One is like like you said, they're physical props, right? So if everybody is drawing from the same deck, um, you you have a replacement problem, right? Like even if everybody has the deck of cards, you could potentially like draw the ace of spades, and then on the next draw, without shuffling on my deck, I also draw the ace of spades. Like that doesn't work, right? Or you know, if you're playing a game that has its own card system, um, for whatever reason, like we could both be having the same card, so you end up with this thing where one player is actually doing the drawing and then communicating those cards to everybody else, but you have to track those cards on your own. So then you have to go seek it out and like find it from your deck or write it down or um, like what a goddamn nightmare. Like, yeah, hold on, just, let me look through my deck of cards and, and find the suicide King. Okay. Hold on. Let me take it. Now let me reshuffle. Right. Right. <laughs> or, or, I mean, there are like solutions to this, right? Like roll 20 can handle some cards. Uh, I think, I think other virtual tabletops can too, but now you have to put all the effort in up front to get all those cards entered so that they become playable. It's just like, it is a barrier, right? Right. It's, it's not insurmountable, but it requires specific planning. That's going to change the play experience from, you know, everybody is sitting around a table drawing from the middle. Right. Or, you know, think about a game with lots of actual cards where you you need to pay attention to what other people have on the table. Like, I don't know, Magic the Gathering. You could play Magic the Gathering online. Solutions exist for that. But if you have physical decks and you just want to play online, that's extremely complicated. Mm -hmm. As somebody who has tried to play Pandemic Legacy uh, online, (laughs) like literally with a camera looking at the board and my mother Skyped in, uh, it is... It's challenging. <laughs> Look, we'll buy two copies of the game and then we'll ruin both of them at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it actually would have just been easier to do that. <laughs> I mean, in terms of, of like proper RPGs, something like Phoenix Dawn Command has many props and many cards that you're playing. So you have the social experience of playing the game, but then you also have the cards that you need on the table plus drawing from a deck. Right. Plus like 
that one has interactivity between players' hands, mm-hmm. where when you play a card, it might trigger other people to play cards. So it's not only what do you have and what's available, but also what does everybody else have and like what can you see and show and everything. So like that's that's one of those games where I back the Kickstarter. I'm super excited about it. We actually play tested it when it was designed. Um and yet I have never gotten to actually play the game in its final form because it would work for me online except it can't be played online <laughs> like so it's uh that one is like a total heartbreaker for me keith uh warhammer fantasy third edition also very bad for this uh well it it has that similar kind of like card driven character sheet process plus the cray cray dice yeah right double down on that yeah all right so some things work much better online some things don't work as well uh what about equipment so i think the most important thing is you need some platform um now typically like in the year 2019 um virtual tabletop is probably the answer um you have options like roll 20 which are free um fantasy grounds and and there's other ones that are springing up all the time so like you have free options available to to do that, which gives you a place to track characters, roll dice, sort of have handouts and sheets and um, you know visual representation, maps, tokens, hit points, all of that sort of thing. Um, and th- those platforms specifically are big enough that they have specialized tools for whatever game you want to play, as long as you're playing something in the relatively mainstream categories. What's cost on those? Uh, roll Fairies, 20s, right? Rule 20 is actually free. Um, and then like you upgrade to like a premium membership um, that, that unlocks certain features. Uh, Fantasy Grounds is a good deal more expensive. Um, I think it's, I don't know, it's the holidays, so it's probably a lot cheaper right now. But I, I want to say it's upwards of $100, maybe close to 200 And that gives you like the, the GM license, which means anybody who joins your game can unlock all features. Yeah, I think everybody who's listening is into RPGs, right? So you know that you can spend as little or as much as you want. If you really want to get in on virtual tabletop, uh, I mean, I've seen people who make their entire gaming surface a giant LCD screen, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can just display maps and it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. but it's a huge investment. Oh, another big part of PAXU, right, was seeing all of the different like gaming tables, many of which are now designed to put a TV in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Modular gaming tables with felt surfaces and like removable panels. And yeah, it's it's intense and impressive. Yeah, and then also pull off that surface and reveal your TV for your map and minis, right? It's crazy. Little drawers you can roll your dice on a felt surface. And- <laughs> <laughs> um, I think at the bare minimum, right, you want to look at something for like a voice and video chat, right? Something like a Google Hangouts or a Skype. Um, a lot of people are using Zoom because it's got really good quality audio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have played games over text, right? Like... Discord servers definitely have this where you have people log in at an appointed time and we will only communicate via text chat, um, but we will play the game. We will all be present at the same time. And, and so it's sort of like a hybrid of play by post and like video based online play, right? Right. It's still happening at the same time, right? You're not writing, you're not like typing a post and then waiting up to 24 hours for someone to respond to that. Yeah, uh, exactly. It, it does take longer because everyone's texting it. Sure. Yeah. No, I the one of the early games that I played online actually, like the first um it might have been the first D&D game I played when I like came back to RPGs actually. Um was on Roll20, but it was text-based. So everybody chatted like all night, you know, we would start at like 8 p.m. and go till midnight. Um but like everyone chatted all night, like we never had a voice chat. Mhm. Um and yeah, like you said, this kind of blurs the line. We'll do this in uh, our private Discord channels for our home group where we will take care of um, some uh, intercession RP or, you know, figure out in-character um, role play or make decisions just right in chat. And sometimes that's happening, you know, in a back and forth. And sometimes that's happening with a few hours in between messages. Yeah. What about uh, maps aside from like, you know, $8,000 on a really nice setup? Yeah, I mean, I think they're not necessary right theater of the mind still works just fine for many games but i think like one of the things especially if you're playing with virtual tabletop like maps and tokens 
are the main thing that they're giving you. You know, like to some degree the rules, but to a bigger degree, it's the maps and tokens that you can use to like kind of recreate that map and minis feel at your table. Um, which of course you can, you know, find those maps, make those maps, buy those maps. Same thing for the tokens, right? And then all you have to do is get them set up and configured in your app of choice. Right. And I think I'm more willing to sort of spend money to get good looking maps and tokens, mainly because in real life at an actual table, you'd be spending money to get them too. either you're buying them, you know, fully made or you're making them yourself. And in either way, it's costing money. Yeah, I mean, but right, like most virtual tabletops have the same kind of just draw feature, right? That gives you the same effect of like, you know, you have your big chess X map and you have your dry erase markers or your wet erase markers and you draw the battle map as you need it. You know, like that's also a thing that people do. So, um, of course you also want a dice roller, um, whether, or at least a dice rolling convention. So if people are rolling at their table and just reporting their results, that's fine. But otherwise you might want to use like a dice app or, um, you know, within like a virtual tabletop or within discord, right? Like add a dice bot or use the dice roller that's built in. And then you'll also need uh, a system to play and maybe even an adventure to run. A lot of virtual tabletops and online systems have these sort of um, integrated into it. You can sort of buy directly and then, you know, all the the maps and the information that you need becomes available to the the GM uh, as necessary. Uh, Or you can also just use actual physical copies of stuff that you might already own or that, you know, you've gone out and, and gotten and just sort of sit there in front of your screen running a game like you would normally at a table. Yeah. And, and usually if you're buying rules, what you're buying really is the character sheets um, so that they have like reference text immediately in them when you hover or if you click it, it will open that specific rule, like things like that, right? Yeah. Um, I, the sheets are getting a lot better, I think. Uh, but often what I'll see is digital sheets will have a shorthand version of the rules or a shorthand version of um, an ability. And so often I'll just end up with like one sheet up on the screen and then the actual rule book either in my lap or also on the screen as a as a pdf so i can cross reference right right yeah i mean that's that's one part of it too is like a lot of times there's just free resources that are available from the community of of the different like platforms right so like for example we played um band of blades using roll 20 for our character sheets um we didn't display roll 20 in the stream but everyone tracked their sheets using rule 20 because it just made it easier to pass them around to everybody mm-hmm. um, and, and edit them and update them. But yeah, like you said, like those are, that was basically made by the band of blades community. Right. Uh, I think it was sort of with the designers intent <laughs> because they were streaming the games too, as they were designing the game, but um, like they weren't always 100% either like wording had changed or they didn't have like every little bit of the wording that mm-hmm. maybe left something else on the, like unavailable so we just had to kind of pay attention to that all right so you want to play online you've got your equipment to play online how do you go find a game to play so i think the best way to do it is to look in the communities that you're already a member of um like anywhere where you have communities of people talking about games you probably have people that would be willing to play a game so um reddit communities and like reddit has an actual lfg forum right that's like where we got a, you yeah that's true <laughs> um, so can't speak to the quality right buyer beware right um <laughs> roll 20 and like uh like each different platform typically also has a user community um that may be easy to find games in um i think the roll 20 community is like notorious for games that play once and then fall apart mm-hmm. but you know uh it happens uh yeah you can actually also look on play by post forums uh, a lot of those these days are turning into people who once you've got a group together are kind of deciding all right do we want this to be actual play by post either on a forum or or email or whatever or do we actually just want to like set a time um and that line is blurring a lot i will see people saying like hey play by post at 7 p.m on thursdays you know right so now <laughs> you're, you're basically playing a chat-based game in a forum post format right which so, is great yeah. I mean, if that works for you, that's great. Just uh, clarify at the beginning exactly what you're getting yourself into. Right. And if you're like posting 
to get players, be very specific about the time commitment and the format and everything like that. Yep. Um, there are also like a whole part of the internet that I have very little exposure to, but Facebook groups, of course, dedicated to various games. And then oftentimes larger communities will have like specific LFG groups that are subsets. Um, and then also discord, like mm -hmm. just about every time that I start playing a new game, like seriously, right? Like for, for, stream of blades right i wanted to make sure that i i had some resources available so i went and found the official like blades in the dark discord that had a channel for stream of, or for band of blades um but every time i do this right like the genesis community the um blades in the dark community like they all have a channel that is specifically dedicated to lfg so if you want to find a group of like-minded players the best place to do that i think is people who hang out in a community dedicated to that game uh, and pretty much discord has become the standard yeah it gravitates in that direction even if you don't intend it to uh, i think when we opened our discord right which isn't based around any particular game at all i think in the first week people put together an online game yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like through through uh no commonality other than a willingness to click a discord join link <laughs> i think it's still going on yeah i know i know so what can you expect to be different in the play experience versus an in-person tabletop game? So there's basically no crosstalk mm -hmm. in an online game. Like it's it's a lot like joining a conference call at work in that regard. Like you can really only hear one person speaking at a time. So you can't really get like table banter. Can or, somebody or mute the chewing? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? So that makes it really different um from a lot of groups that that are organized chaos in terms of speaking over one another um and then it also cuts down on like those side conversations that you have while someone looks up a rule or whatever you know like um you just you just don't have that type of space to have those conversations yeah it may not look it to people who watched our stream of blades but dear lord you get so much more done in a set amount of time playing online than you do in person when people are like they keep running out to like go to the bathroom or like you know grab snacks or showing each other things on their phones instead of actually taking their turn oh yeah no it takes it, you just have a lot more forward momentum um and also i think combat tends to be a little bit quicker just because everybody like sort of has to pay attention they can't get distracted by other things um I guess they still can, but they, they can't distract each other as easily, I guess. Right, right. Like, what else are you going to pay attention to? And you can be having, like, side conversations in, in chat, and that can, you know, occasionally be distracting. But usually that's, like, just with one other person, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually a good convention and one that I've enjoyed in other games where, like, we would talk and that would be, like, the game, right? But then we would also chat and that would be kind of the jokes, Right. So you could enjoy what was going on and like sort of be the audience in chat, but you had to play the game via voice. So you weren't distracting from the game as you were sort of following along. Right. And then the jokes don't build on themselves because someone might only see it like five minutes later. And like, right. okay, that's still, still funny, but like, I'm not going to respond to it immediately because like that was, that's over. Right. Um, I also think there is a tendency with like, playing online especially amongst people who don't know each other very well um is that it becomes more natural to engage with the gm rather than the other players mm -hmm. um like you don't want to interrupt you don't want to necessarily interject and and therefore like the gm is the constant voice so it's easy to like the gm throw something out there and like i'll get my character involved now but like i don't want to step on another player's toes uh when they're having a moment so you tend to just like politely decline to get involved rather than pursue. How did you feel the GM labor changed uh, for streamer blades? Um, I felt like, was it more? It felt it, like it felt to me like you were on more of the time. Yeah, but that's that's different because that's also literally a performance, right? Like when you're streaming for Twitch, like you're performing for an audience not just for the players so like i felt like i couldn't take a break to look something up or i i had to have like thoughts in advance because i didn't i didn't want to take 30 seconds to think through something 
Mm, sounds like that might be another episode topic at some point. Streaming? Oh, God. I don't know that I'm good enough to make that advice. <laughs> if we restricted these topics to things that we were good at, we would not have a show. Social contract? Don't be an ass. I, I will say, like, one thing that I made sure to do, um, and, and again, sort of less so our group for Stream of Blades, but, like, I think it's good when you have new players or, like, a new group is, like, set time aside and direct the players to interact, right? So, like, when when somebody says something that you think might be interesting to another character, like, ask that character how they feel, mm-hmm. right? Or set up the scene to have them talk about how they feel or, like, talk about their reaction to each other rather than to the GM, right? Like, fra- frame your questions less about, like, hey, what does your character think about this? But, li- like, instead, like, hey, let's see the scene where your character tells the other about that, Right? Um, so that like you force that that cross communication a little bit and build that intra party rapport a little more, right? You sort of throw the scenario out rather than um, the uh, individual interaction. Exactly. Um, and then I think the other kind of uh, consequence of this lack of cross talk and and sort of the only one person can speak thing is that less assertive players may not be as comfortable actually interrupting or like carving out their time to do their thing right like if you are a more passive personality and and you wait to be called on um you you may not get as much screen time Mm -hmm. so as gms you want to like recognize those players and and invite them into the game but also like as a as a player like if you feel like you're not getting a chance to talk like that's that could be part of it you might need to adapt your strategy yeah and i say on the flip side of that if you are typically an assertive player who has no problem being in spotlight try to take a step back at least to get bearings on the other people in the group to see how they are to make sure that it's all being shared equitably like just on stream of blades i often find myself being like just mentally to myself i'll go last or i'll pick last because my tendency of course is to like step in and make a decision yeah, that was super fun how everybody did that politely in Stream of Blades. <laughs> and then I would ask a question and there would be 10 seconds of silence and mm-hmm. then I had to call on people. <laughs> cool and fun. Which again, is fine in a home game or fine in an online game. Really lousy in a stream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't want to get in a situation where it's like, well, okay, if there's one assertive person, then I guess I'll go first again. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's harder to teach a game, like either a new game or to teach a single person who doesn't know this game um, on a, like online. Like we talked about this maybe just a few weeks ago in you know teaching new players. Sometimes at a table, you can have somebody just sort of sit next to the new person and, and help them along, you know? And you can do that in a chat, but again, that is a, a bit more distracting. Usually what happens is someone stops, either another player or the GM stops and then explains it to the person, but that basically means the game has completely ground to a halt. Yeah, because only one person can talk, right? Mm-hmm. Like- that that becomes your challenge. Um, the other thing is sometimes like it's not teaching the game, it's teaching the interface, right? So how do I get this thing to work in Roll Twenty? How do I get this thing to work in Fantasy Grounds? Like, yeah, where I'm do I click? The, mm-hmm. Right, like I'm clicking the roll button, but it's not working. Oh well, you have to select that and then click the button. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of like uh, IT technical support. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> which which is helpful if you have a player who's well versed in it in your group because they can kind of help with that, even if they're not the GM. But I think that will most often fall to the GM, who's probably spending more prep time in the platform than other players. Yeah, I mean, this is one drawback is that you know every once in a while at a in an in person game, someone gets an emergency call and has to go home early or like the baby got sick or whatever right but now on top of that you're adding technical difficulties if your Mm -hmm. internet goes out if you have a power outage if like for some reason you have a problem with your computer or you need to reboot you are not available you are disappearing and often you just you just disappear right with no explanation however certainly not all bad Uh, it it is pretty easy to create uh, tactical and immersive encounters with relatively simple maps and tokens that are often available for free or cheap yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people have that sort of dream game where they have the full Dwarven Forge set up and they can create 
exactly what they want out of their like environment right with exactly the minis for every single monster and like it's actually really easy to do that granted it's two-dimensional but like it's very easy to do that in a lot of virtual tabletops where you can have the perfectly tailored map and the perfect minis or the perfect tokens for everybody involved i'll take isometric that sounds you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and and it's also editable right like that's that's a big deal i've talked about before about printing out maps and like very carefully sort of stitching them together and being really happy with it but when the terrain changes or when something explodes or when you have difficult terrain everywhere um you can you can just put that on there with a digital tabletop right and then there's also animated maps too right like that's that's sort of a space that a lot of artists are getting into where like if if you're in a sewer like the water will flow mm-hmm. right or the fire or flickers or yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, you can get a lot of cool stuff in that way that isn't as practical at an actual tabletop. Um, and then also, like, I think it's helpful. You could run more complicated things because all of your game tracking tools are right close at hand. You know, like, when you don't have to keep six pages open in the monster manual to look up your stat blocks, uh, when you could just click here and see a stat block and click here to reduce HP or whatever, like, it, it becomes easier to run that, like, sort of flawless encounter the way you imagine it in your mind um rather than like just scrambling to take notes on the back of a sheet of paper and then thinking oh that's enough damage they're dead now yeah i mean player side too right like i click cast this spell and it sucks the appropriate spell slot from from my sheet and i don't even need to worry about it i can just always see at all times how many i have left Mm -hmm. Uh, temp hp You add the temp HP. Great. It does the math for you. I take a set amount of damage. Well, it it deducts the temp HP first. Yeah. No not, more. Uh, does this stack or not? Wait a second. How much temp HP did we get? Okay. That means it reduces it by 11, right? This is this is exactly the uh, pitch for D&D Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, like, sometimes you could run into a situation where keeping players' attention can be challenging. Um, it's so easy to just open another browser window and no one can tell that you're, you know, playing on your phone or whatever because you have, like, a little more physical distance between you. Um, or, you know, like you said, like, an emergency happens or whatever and you step away from the screen. Like, it's just a little bit easier to, you know, mute and walk away. Um, so that's just something to be aware of, right, is sometimes you can get players who aren't completely paying attention. Uh, another consideration at the table is Shane I've spent so much money on dice Mm -hmm. real actual dice and I really enjoy rolling them that's why I got them in the first place are you me Uh, sometimes and much to my shame (laughs) (laughs) but what do I do with them if I'm playing online right yeah I I, you've got to find that convention for your table and I think the natural inclination is not to trust the guy who always rolls 20s whenever it's convenient Mm -hmm. you know like if you're not showing your dice in a screen then it's a i don't know there's a level of trust there that might not be earned yeah and it's also it's also tough like maybe you have a lucky streak or whatever right like or imagine if you're like rolling everyone's rolling at their own table imagine actually getting an 1800 right zero people will believe you exactly i would never believe you (laughs) that's that's why i would only roll it like publicly with everybody's attention because i don't want to be accused afterwards Mm -hmm. so everybody look gather around i'm rolling a hundred i rolled a one of course it's it's an 18 but worse (laughs) um i think there's also kind of a frequent line of complaining about virtual tabletops specifically or just like online dice rollers that they're not really random um, mostly because they tend to have a more natural distribution of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> because turns out, you know, like we self-select for dice that we feel roll well. Um, and you can't really do that with an online die roller. Uh, yeah. I'll, and sure, we'll get into the whole, no, RNG is truly random. Yes. Okay. But they're as random as you need to be, certainly. There's certainly more random than that set of like rounded off dice that we've been rolling. Yeah. Your random chess X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then even when you do have a robust set of game tools for whatever system that you're playing in, I don't think there is any virtual tabletop that has every single thing you're going to want for any particular game system. There's always something missing that you're going to need to like cobble together or do in person with physical props, whether it's like some set of cards or some kind of tokens that you want or that your table uses or a tactile tool that's just missing. Yeah. I think that's, that's important. Like 
you know, people talk about inspiration tokens because having a physical token makes it easier to remember to use your inspiration, right? But like, it's difficult to give somebody a token over the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing with like Benny's in um, in Savage Worlds in um, uh, Deadlands, or specifically in Deadlands, where you actually draw Benny's randomly out of a out of a sack. hat. Yeah, yeah. There's like a there's a distribution to those Benny's too that that becomes difficult. Um, and also like it's easier to forget that you don't have them um, just writing Benny's on the screen in, in the top left corner isn't exactly the same reminder mm-hmm. um, there's also like there's a there's like a tactile effect to flipping over a dark side point in um, in like Star Wars right like when you actually do that flip it like causes a moment of tension of like oh god why is the GM spending that dark side point what is coming you know um, and, and you don't have that you don't have that tactile sensation in a virtual tabletop. Right. Like playing online, you kind of have to narrate everything because you don't know that people can necessarily see what you're doing. But at a table, you just reach out, you begin to slowly reach over to those dark side points. Mm -hmm. And everybody sees that happening and that builds the tension. You don't need to say, all right, so uh, I will flip a dark side point. Okay. And you know. Yeah, exactly. it's, It's tough to keep that going all right so both of us started gaming way back in the days of your only option was getting together in somebody's basement well Um, i mean my parents let us at the kitchen table thank you oh wow yeah look look at you out in the open and everything sometimes we were so crowded we got the dining room table wow man Uh extra set of seats you special kids Uh uh-huh we had a dining room growing up (laughs) (laughs) um but, you know, our formative experiences were like sitting ar- around a table or just like on the ground, right, with mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of other people. So I think when I first started venturing into to online gaming, I was a little skeptical, but also like it, it was sort of amazing that there was this whole world of like people out there who I would have had no way to, to meet before because they had never been to my local comic book shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and who I would never have been able to meet in in any other way. And now suddenly we're like, we're creating stories together and they, they're telling stories in different ways that I hadn't considered before um, or they're coming up with ideas uh, or, or just jokes, right? That I haven't been exposed to before. And it it has been really good, right? It is, it is a very different experience, but it can be equally rewarding in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it's sort of the same as the con-going experience right like it's uh it's a different group of people or like a different set of people but um it's the same way that like it's a it's a chance to expand your horizons i guess of like perspective on games um i will also say that i desperately miss like the uh the like shared food like the gm's pizza you know like the cracking a can of coke kind of like or like the bottle of mountain dew like piece of the gaming experience when you only play online um, and like I used to play in an online game like on a bi-weekly basis um, with uh, actually it was GM'd by um, Michael from the RPG Academy and like we were all good about like we would all grab a beer we would all like grab a cocktail or whatever but still you know four people drinking in different places it's not quite the same as four people sharing a drink you know right you're not drinking alone exactly right <laughs> <laughs> But it's lonely when you're done. I'll yeah, tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So I, w- I would say, like, try not to have it be your only gaming experience if you can. I mean, obviously, there are some people where this has facilitated any gaming, mm-hmm. right? And certainly online gaming is better than, than no gaming, but a mix. And if you have never online gamed, you should definitely try it. Yeah, yeah. Especially if there's a game that you simply can't find locally. Right, whether that's any game or just specific games, you know, a lot of like kickstarted systems and one shot systems and stuff are maybe difficult to find in your local group. Yeah, or that old game from nineteen eighty three that you played that one time, but now nobody actually owns the books and no one would ever, ever be interested. I just want to play the Dallas RPG. <laughs> there are definitely people out there who want to play it with you. That's a lot. Nobody wants to play the <laughs> Dallas RPG. That's why SPI went under. <laughs> We can play vampire and then I can just turn off the my computer when things get bad. Okay. <laughs> uh, nope, 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 nope. Uh, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? 
that is definitely me unplugging my computer directly from the wall because it won't shut down quickly enough. All right, well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and see what character is there when you turn it back on. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by D&D Beyond, the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. You can use D&D Beyond to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. Like keep track of all those temporary hit points that nobody wants to do the math on. Wait, I'm going to sneak in this story about Pax Unplugged now. Do because it. Because it, it applies. So when I ran my one shot, all I did was make all the nine pregens in a campaign in D&D Beyond. And when I gave access to everybody at the table, they were able to choose a character and just run it from their phones. Yeah. And you were like, oh, crap, I forgot to print these out. Can I borrow somebody's printer? No, there's no time. Oh, no, we showed up. What do we do? Hey, everyone, just give me your Twitter handle or your email address and I will send you all the options for the characters and everyone just play on their phone. Done. Exactly. Also, it took me a solid... Mm, 30 minutes to build nine characters and they all they all worked <laughs> um actually like earlier today i was um building a character for uh, one of our home games and i was like oh the, there's the character that i played in your one shot it's just still mm-hmm. right there yeah i'm I, gonna claim that back it's it, but it like it's not lost and i didn't right i didn't misplace the sheet and it wasn't just crumpled up and recycled like it's still right there mm-hmm. true all right so in addition to that, D&D Beyond has plenty of awesome free content like the D&D Basic Rules and articles from people like James J. Heck and videos from people like Todd Kenrick. And the team is always updating the site with new features, so improvements are always coming. So if that sounds interesting, you can check it all out at dndbeyond.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Webmaster. 400-pound guy in a basement? Is that, is that it? <laughs> I think that's how it goes these days. Sorry, Ishan. The webmaster is a person who has taken up the divine calling to administer a website to the adoration of its user community. That sounds about right to me. Mm-hmm. Wait, is this... It's not a drow? It's not a drow. <laughs> I'm so confused. It does, not, it does not have to live in the dark. <laughs> All right. What's the build? The build is Divine Soul Sorcerer 3, Enchantment Wizard 17. I like these 17-3 splits. We're getting a lot of them nowadays. All right, so Sorcerer, you get Divine Magic. It means you can choose from the Cleric spell list in addition to the Sorcerer spell list every time you learn a new spell, which is honestly amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get up to second level Cleric spells, basically, um, through your Sorcerer levels. Because you get a ton of overlap between Wizard and Sorcerer anyway. You might as well take some new spells. Yeah, seriously. Um, You will also learn a bonus spell on alignment. Um, So like depending on chaotic, evil, uh, good, lawful, neutral, etc. Like, it'll give you one, but uh, you learn that at second level, and then you can immediately replace it with any cleric spell at level three. So you basically get a free extra spell known Mm -hmm. that is a cleric spell. You get Um, favored by the gods once per short rest. You add 2d4 to a failed attack or saving throw. And, of course, you get metamagic. Yeah, we're here for heightened spell and for careful spell because you are a ninth-level spellcaster as a wizard, uh, and you have two types of spell, web and master. <laughs> Perfect. So the web spells, things like snare, the aforementioned web, hypnotic pattern, of course, you they are caught in your web of, of lies and illusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evar's black tentacles and flush to stone, which can easily be reflavored. Yep. So some of these are uh, area effects, so it's good to have careful spell yeah. to make sure that your your teammates pass. <laughs> and of course, when most of your spells are uh, save or suck, you want to make sure that it's hard to save. Right. So that's where heightened spell comes in. Uh, because your master spells are things like charm person or charm monster, dominate person, dominate monster, and mass suggestion, right? Things that give you control over your enemies. This webmaster is terrifying. Uh, yeah it's kind of a it took a dark turn 
Yeah, very quickly. At like level two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you get hypnotic gaze, uh, which lets you spend an action to charm and incapacitate someone basically as long as you want to to stand there and hypnotically it's, gaze them. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a wisdom save. Uh, at level six, you will get instinctive charm, which as a reaction uh, forces a wisdom save and then redirects an attack against you towards the closest creature. Uh, and at 14, the basically creepiest ability in all of 5e D&D, alter memories, where a person doesn't realize that they've been charmed uh, by you uh, and they have to make an intelligence saving throw or you can just make them forget what they did. Right, which is... I thought long and hard about making this the capstone, but then I would have had to give up um, Dominate Monster. But because you have alter memories, you can delete things from the internet... That people think they remember but are not there any longer. <laughs> Therefore, you become the webmaster. Uh, that is that is the capstone ability for any webmaster is deleting something f- completely from the internet. Exactly. <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. <laughs> All right. So in terms of leveling order, I think just start with your sorcerer levels and then plow straight through wizard. So Ishan, who is your webmaster? My webmaster is a drow. Of uh-huh. course. You don't say. <laughs> uh, yes, she's, of course, a, a drow priestess who has bucked the trend and is not a cleric, but is instead a wizard, which is usually something that male drow do. But you know what? No one's going to argue with her because she will web your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All for the greater glory of uh, Lolth. Although, you know what the goddess of treachery really wants is someone to treach her. So the end goal here is eventually, someday, somehow, to climb her way, or I guess down her way, all the way to the, what, the 66th layer of the abyss where Lolt is hanging out? Or is it the 666? I think that might be it. Uh, <laughs> and enslave her her goddess herself, who won't even remember that it happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because, of course, Lolth controls uh, the... The greater webs, right? The the skein of what must be the fantasy internet. Okay. And so when you were there, you are there at the heart of the internet. Nothing can stop you. Okay, great. What about your webmaster? Uh, my webmaster is a technically a member of the King's Dark Lanterns. Uh, so he is from Breland. But uh, he's kind of in the NSA branch, you know, like he does all the like technical work. He's, he's basically responsible for any veil outs that are necessary uh, as, uh, as the Breelish intelligence is, is going about their business. Um, maybe he sometimes takes contracts for, um, you know, other groups, dragon marked houses, you know, occasional uh, freedom fighters, those, those types of things. Oh, wow. Uh, but basically, yeah, his, uh, his role is to, to go in and make sure that things are cleaned up, that all the like necessary palms are greased, that anybody who needs to forget what happened or have their attitude about what happened altered a little bit, gets the correct treatment. Um, and, and basically like he manages the web of lies that's required in uh, high level intelligence work. Ah, so sometimes a server needs to be purged and it turns out that that server is a person's brain. That's is okay. It's a Warforged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bank of Warforged. It's an actual server at a restaurant <laughs> who just happened to be walking down the sidewalk at that moment. Definitely purging. Not a person. It's fine. Right. No real person involved. All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about playing adventures in the Mornland. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Siren Adventure. Well, that's it for episode 229 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Do you love Cobalt Press 5th Edition Adventures? Yes. Well, now you can get some of their best on Fantasy Grounds. This is this is not intentional, but this is very, very timely ad copy. Yeah. Good job, Cobalt Press, knowing what we were going to talk about before we did. Mm-hmm. So you mean adventures like Courts of the Shadow Fae, an adventure for 7th to 10th level characters, or Necropolis of the Mailed Fist, 
a one-session adventure for 8th level characters, which are both now available on Fantasy Grounds. Courts of the Shadow Fae contains 100 NPCs, a map with more than 60 locations of the courts, and more than 40 combat and roleplay encounters. Courts of the Shadow Fae takes you from the mortal world to the heart of shadow. Okay, so think about this. Even if you are a person who likes to print out a bunch of maps and like lay them out or like redraw them or whatever, there's no way that you're going to do that for 60 maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they're just available and you can just load them up with, I don't know, four or five clicks of your mouse. Yep. Sounds about right. Necropolis of the Mailed Fist is a punishing one-session tournament dungeon. Monsters and constructs are guarding the necropolis and they can overwhelm the careless or unwary. There are also traps and hazards protecting the, the relics that can slay adventurers who make one single misstep. And there are curses everywhere. Also, <laughs> your magic items can be destroyed, so... It's a good thing it's a one shot. <laughs> yeah, I like I like this uh this owns that this will only suck for one session. <laughs> so pick up Courts of the Shadow Fae or Necropolis of the Mailed Fist on Fantasy Grounds, and everything you need to play is loaded up and ready to go right into their sleek virtual table. You can check it out at fantasygrounds.com and tell them DSPN sent you. <laughs> 